you'll be turning with me to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be spending a lot of our time this morning. Last week, you allowed me to talk about the opportunities and challenges that we have before us as Christians in this country right now and, and a call to stand strong in the face of those challenges and of that opposition and even in the persecution to stand strong in that. A couple that standing strong, some of you are very familiar with is Aaron and Melissa Klein out in Oregon. They were the owners of a little baker shop that they own called Sweet Cakes. And uh, Aaron and Melissa had, uh, had served many people, uh, not, discriminating, not discriminating against anyone. And uh, a lesbian couple that they had served many times came and asked them to, to make a, a cake for their same-sex wedding. And at that, Aaron and Melissa, being evangelical Christians, said, we, we really can't participate in that ceremony with you because we're Christians. And so they graciously declined them. And of course, that's when they were taken to court. And uh, the rest of, if you've followed along uh, with what's happening there, and Todd Starnes does a, a good job of, uh, of, of keeping me informed with that. Uh, they were informed by the Bureau of Labor and Industry in Oregon in a letter this past week that they have till tomorrow, uh, July 13th, to pay $135,000 to this, uh, this, couple, this couple. Or if not, then the, the uh, state is going to turn them over to the IRS, and the IRS can place a lien against their home. And uh, so uh, it's, 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 a, it's a rallying call for, uh, for Christians. Listen to what, uh, what Melissa said. She said uh, that she would not be intimidated by these tactics and bullying tactics. She said, we're going to quote her, we're going to fight this. Oh, my gosh, she said. It's making us stronger and emboldening us to stand up to this. Aaron and I are fighting for every American out there for their freedom. We're not backing down at all. She goes on and says, what a time to be an American. It's a hard time. Our freedoms are challenged. But what a time to be able to stand and to have courage and say, I have a moment in time where I can be a voice for that. And the clients aren't just ready to throw in the towel yet. She, I love this quote. Uh, this quote. She, she must be some kind of gal. She said, they have definitely messed with the wrong Christians. Uh, but, but to put a little bit of perspective, uh, I, was, I was printing off the article to share part of the article with you and, and didn't mean to, but by mistake, I, I'm not that technical savvy. Louis will tell you that, but... Um, I got some of the comments, and this just happened to be a comment. And I thought, boy, how, how so, what a, what a good picture of the contrast between an unbelieving world and Christians. This is a comment. It says, the real problem is that you Christians keep on dragging your free, feet on the rapture thing. You need to float on out of here so the rest of us can live normal lives without having to listen to your fairy tale baloney all the time. Wow, isn't that something? Well, let me... Um, let me be very clear, and I, I try to be, is that standing strong and standing firm as a Christian believer today, you need to realize the nature and the scope of the spiritual battle that's raging all around us. Otherwise, if you aren't, when trials come, and they will come, when oppositions come up against, arise against you, and it will, and even when persecution hits, then you can be taken unprepared and you can say well I wonder why God's allowing all this to happen and you may not understand the reality of the situation we're on a battlefield not a playground 
And I am I, aware of some, even some Christian ministry, people in ministry, that, uh, that somewhere along the line, they, they, they thought, well, if I just answer God's call on my life. And by the way, what a, what a neat surprise it was to uh, meet Dana and Karen's son-in-law and uh, Melissa and, and Luis. Uh, he, was, he graduated from the school that they directed. Now his father has taken over the school where Luis and Melissa left, right? He's, he, was, he was director last year of that. And now they met in a small church in Blairsville. I love that. I love the way God does that. But I have, I have, seen, I have seen pastors, and I, I've seen people that say, okay, you know, God's got a call in my life, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer that. I'm going to go. Maybe it's overseas. Maybe it's, to, uh, maybe it's down to Clarkston. Maybe it's to next door. Maybe it's to, I'm going I'm to join the choir. Or maybe it's, it's I'm going I'm to start teaching. You know, I'm going to do what God's called me to do. And somehow or another, we think once we do that, that there'll be no more opposition, that it'll be blessings and that we'll sit on the front porch every evening and drink lemonade and we'll watch our, all our healthy grandkids run in the yard and the checks will come in the mailbox and people will just, you know, and we, we get this, we've got this, it's really not a, not a clear, true picture in my opinion. They don't, don't understand that when God blesses a work, the Canal Lake Bible Camp, the, uh, uh, Jeff said it, when, when souls are being saved, when kids are, be, are growing in the Lord, the enemy hates that. There is a spiritual battle and a spiritual fight. That's why the prayer bracelets are there. They're not there to put on so that people can just look and say, oh, have you been in the hospital this week? What's wrong with you? They're there to remind us that victory comes as we pray through. It was exciting to me. Melly leaned up and whispered. And she said, I prayed for one of the girls this week, the, one of the girls that got saved. And she said, they were on my heart and I was praying for them. That's the victory. But sometimes we, 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 you know, we, we've some, maybe, uh, whatever it is. I, I ran across a verse in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. Don't go there. He's going to flash it up for you. But Paul writing about the great opportunity that he had to share the gospel. And, and it was interesting. He said, for there's a great door and an effectual opportunity is opened unto me to share the gospel, he's saying. And there are many adversaries. I first read that and I thought, you know, boy, they probably made a mistake in, in, in interpreting that. You know, they probably should have been, but there are many adversaries. And then the more I looked and the more I read, the more I prayed, I said, no, no. Where there's, where there's opportunity, where there's ministry going on, there are adversaries. There is opposition. And we need to understand, you, you know, if you rock a, a hornet's nest and there's, there's activity in the area, you expect hornets to fly out. I, um. Uh, I believe that many Christians are unprepared for the warfare to which God has called us. That's why I'm sharing the message this morning, how to stand firm on shaky grounds. I ran across this uh, 19th century Christian writer, wrote a book called Soldiers and Trumpeters by J.C. Ryle. I just want this small quote. He says, the saddest symptom about many so-called Christians is the utter absence of anything like conflict and fight in their Christianity. He goes on to say, they go through the motions of attending religious services each week, and then he added, but of the great spiritual warfare, its watchings and strugglings, its agonies and anxieties, its battles and contests, of all this, they appear to know nothing at all. Now, maybe part of that 
is our fault, my fault as a pastor, our fault as pastors, as Christian leaders. Because um, we, we, t- we tell people, come to the Lord, and, and, and there's going to be freedom, Adam's song. There, there's going to be more freedom than you've ever realized. And there is in the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus Christ. We tell people, come to the Lord, and, 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 there's gonna, and, and you'll never walk alone again. And you won't. He's promised to always be with us, to never leave us, never forsake us. We, we tell people, come to the Lord, and somewhere along the line, uh, those, all those claims are true, but, there, but there's still other things that we need to share also. Jesus promised to give us life and that more abundantly, but he also said he was sending us forth as sheep among wolves. Now, that's just not the most common and relaxing scene or scenario. Jesus promised peace, but in the same breath, he said that in the world we're going to have tribulation. Jesus assured of, of, of his love toward us. But at the same time, he promised us that the world would hate us and persecute us. So we need to, we need to understand a little bit, I believe, about the enemy and about the nature of the warfare if we're to stand strong in the times that we have and the opportunities. I want you to go to Ephesians. You should be in Ephesians 6 with me now. And we're going to pick up in, in uh, chapter 6. I'm going to pick up a little bit in, in verse 10. So first of all, look at the enemy. Paul writing this, and, and, and we've got to look at this. Paul has just got through talking about, in chapter 5, about the Christian home and about husbands and wives and children and, the, and, and, and all this going on. And, and, and start up first part of chapter 6 about children honoring their parents and this beautiful picture. And then he gets to verse 10 and he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his mind. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Who's our enemy? He identifies our enemy. One of the, one of the criticisms, strong criticisms I have of the current administration in Washington I don't think I'm the only one that has this, this criticism, is, is a failure of this administration to identify the enemy of which we're fighting. And we'll, we'll don't even, you know, hasn't even used term, terminology that would identify him. Here are the enemies identified as a devil. Another meaning of that name is, an, is a deceiver or an accuser. First Corinthians, I mean, uh, Genesis chapter 3, he comes as a liar. Telling Eve, he says, has God really told you this? You know, one place he's called the, a liar and the father of all lies. You know where the root of all lies is from the devil. Job, in Job, I think it's Job chapters 1 and 2, he comes before God as an accuser of the brethren. You know, he, he goes forth on the earth and God said, hey, what do you think about Job? And, and what does he say? He said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He said, you know, Job, he's a wealthy guy and all his kids are, are healthy, wealthy and happy and wise. No wonder anybody serve you like that. He's serving you for all the goods he gets out of it. An accuser of the brethren. Nor enemy. Verse 12 says, for we wrestle not, for this the devil... We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, the wiles of the devil in verse 11. See that? We wrestle against the wiles of the devil. It's interesting. Back in chapter 4 of of Ephesians, verse 14, it's translated a little bit differently. 4.14, 4.14, it says, therefore, we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about 
with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and here it is, and cunning craftiness, wherein they lie in wait to deceive us. Cunning craftiness, and the picture there to me is um, camouflage. It's, it's, it's of a hunter who is covering his sin up. He's camouflaged himself so that the prey won't even realize he's there until it's too late. And, uh, and so the, the enemy today, the wiles, we, we understand who he is and a little bit about his nature. He's a liar. He's an accuser. He's, he's got nothing good for you. Scripture says that he, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's Satan's plan for you. But he said, I am come that you might have life and that more abundantly. What a contrast. Okay? But we know a little bit about his character, and, and we're not ignorant of his methods here. But he camouflages it, and today even many of those I feel like that have fallen prey to his lies and deception They've not even realized it was the devil because he so camouflaged it. He so um, made it appealing and appropriate. Now, understand this. Satan or the devil can work through people. And oftentimes, I believe he uses people a lot of times, even though even when they're unaware that, he's, that they're being used by him. But know this. Our real battle as believers is never against people. People aren't the enemy. The enemy's spiritual. I shared in first service uh, how this realization, one of the realizations of this to Barbie and me came very, very clearly several years ago, many years ago. Barbie and I, when Barbie and I got married, my mom and dad were Christians, and her mother was a Christian. Her grandfather, her mother's dad had been a preacher. That don't make you a Christian, but she heard the gospel from early on. She was saved. Her dad came from a, a family that uh, wasn't, didn't grow up in church, didn't have the privilege and opportunity of hearing about the gospel early on. And her father was not a believer. And so even before we were married, we were praying for Barb's daddy, along with, with Lynn and Herbie and other, other people. And we were praying for, for Luke to come to know the Lord. Uh, We'd been married a period of time. And I mean, you know, we're honeymoon staging then. I don't know. We'd been married six, seven years. But I mean, we, but we were, and, and we were praying, and we would go up to Luke and Gladys just to, you know, for a meal or to go visit or whatever. And lo and behold, we'd end up in an argument in front of her dad. We hadn't, we had, maybe we hadn't argued in days. I mean, that's a long time for Barbie and me when back, back then. <laughs> back then, it was sometimes, you know, I mean, we, hadn't, we wouldn't have argued in days. But we would either end up in an argument or we would find ourselves talking about people or doing things that we just didn't normally do at the house. And one day, Barbara and I were sitting around and said, what's going on here? And it was just like the Holy Spirit said, I'm glad you kind of asked me that. Got around to asking me, you know, you're you're, you're slow learners, but let's talk about this. (laughs) And we realized that the nature of what was going on was spiritual, that the enemy we were, being, we, we were going unprepared spiritually. We were going, hey, that's just great. And so we weren't prepared for the conflict. And so spiritually, Satan would come in and, and, and we would do things in front of him that was, was negating any praying that we would do. And we said, oh, wow. And we had, we, listen, we'd been saved a long time. And we asked his forgiveness. We asked God's forgiveness. And we started being prepared. We need to understand the spiritual nature of the enemy we fight against. I read across, I read a book, uh, I read uh, uh, Killing Patton. 
George, uh, George Patton had been an interesting guy to me anyway, and Zach and Paige are both history people. There's a debate among them about who's the, the most history savvy. But I was reading an account about when Patton was, was fighting uh, Rommel, Erwin uh, Rommel. Isn't that, that, that was a, the swamp. Is he the, the, the desert fox? Yeah, the desert fox. And he was a, he was a commander of the, the t- tank divisions, right? All North Africa, all over there. And, uh, and Patton, was, Patton was defeating him in this, this tank battle. And, 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 and I read an account that said in the midst of the battle, someone overheard Patton yelling at the top of his voice. That sounds like what I know about Patton. He says, I've read your book, Rommel. I've read your book. And, and indeed, Rommel had written a book on infantry attacks and, and how he planned his strategies. And, and that's how Patton was able to stay ahead of him. He knew what he was going to do before he even done it. Now, now listen, Satan has not written a book, but our, our Heavenly Father has written a book that's all true. And it tells us of Satan's strategies and his plans and his methodology. And it hasn't changed that much since the first couple in the Garden of Eden when he says, has God really told you this? So we aren't unprepared. We know our enemy. We need to know our enemy. It's the devil. We need to know his methods. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. We need to be aware. And we can read the book so that we aren't unprepared. But we also, I believe we also need to know our mission statement. What we're called to do. What this, what this battle is about. If we're going to stand firm in shaky times. I'm reminded of Luke. There's a scripture in Luke 21. Oh, now it's been three or four months ago, probably two or three months ago. Brother Jim preached a message one Sunday morning on a shaking that's going on. A shaking that God is shaking the nation. Luke chapter 21, verse 25 and 26 reminded me of that. It says, there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon earth, distress of nations. With perplexity, the seas and the waves roaring, men's hearts fell in them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Now, our mission statement to keep us standing is found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, 19, and 20. It was given when Jesus was getting ready to go back into heaven after the, the resurrection and ascension back to heaven. And he looks at those, those people around there and he gives them this command. He gives them this mission. He says, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. And he says, therefore, because all power is given to him in heaven and earth, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Let me, let me um, just lay out some keys that I think are critical. First of all is that in the days in which we live, if we're going to stand, if you're going to stand, if you're not going to cave in, you're not going to be wiped out, you need to stay close to Jesus Christ. You need to stay close to Jesus. And I'm talking about not just with a head closeness. There's a, there's a verse of scripture in Isaiah 29 where Isaiah is talking to the, to the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. And he, just, he, he, he confronts them with this. He said, and, and when I read this, I thought, wow, because I memorized this verse, okay? I, I thought I had this verse memorized. 
And it says, wherefore says the Lord, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips, they honor me. But I've removed their hearts far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of man. In other words, they've lost their fear of God. But I, 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 I thought I had this verse memorized. These people draw near me with their mouth and their lips. They honor me, but their hearts are far from me. But when I read it, I thought, but that's not what it says. It doesn't say their hearts are far from me. They have removed their hearts far from me. You see that? Now, I look at this, and on the surface, I look, hey, these people had good theology. Their theology was right. Their lips, with their, with their mouth, they were, they, were, they were saying the right thing. They were drawing near to him. Lord, we love you. Lord, we, you know, we're going to follow you. We're committed to you. Their lips, they honor him. Lord, you're, you're worthy to be praised. That was their lips, and that was their mouth. But there was a problem. They had a heart problem. Their heart wasn't in it. And when I read this, when I, when I, when I read this, I said, they have removed their heart far from me. I thought, oh, Lord. Am, am I wrong? And I, I, tried to, I, I tried to parse this verse. I think I'm parsing it correctly. And I looked at this, and to me it said, hey, you know, maybe at one time their passion was there. At one time their heart was there where their lips and their mouth are. And I wonder, I wonder if the opposition got too strong. I wonder if the conflict got too heated up. I wonder if in the times of persecution, it just became easier to continue lip service and mouth service and to be safe. And so their hearts withdrew. Wow. To stand firm in shaky times, we need to believe with our hearts. See, if you believe with your head, if someone's just intellectually, you said, yeah. Then somebody else come along with a little bit more intellectual ammunition and they can deceive you. You'll say, yeah. I wonder, I think that's the reason that Romans 10, 9 and 10 says with the mouth of confession made in salvation, but what? With the heart. With the heart. Man believes in the righteousness. I was reading and thinking about this and I was thinking about a song, old course, a song old and it says in times like these, in times like these, you need a savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure. Your anchor holds and is on the solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. I want to tell you the key to standing firm and, and, and the times that we're living in is first of all is to know that you know that you know that you've committed everything to the Lord in your hearts where your lips and your mouth are and you keep this intimate relationship with him. Number two, and it goes right along with the first one, is we need, well, and let, me just, let me just back up and preface that and say Matthew 28, the mission statement. He says, lo, I am with you always. That's, he wanted us to know that. This call, this command, this go, this go into all the world, make disciples. You can do that because he's saying, hey, I'm going to be with you. In Ephesians, he says it this way in verse 10. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Now, we men in men's Bible study and looking at Ephesians, Paul's, he's all over that in the Lord. He's all over that in Ephesians. But he says, be strong in the Lord and look at this, and in the power of his mind. And he would say, you want to talk about power? 
The same power that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead, that's the same power, that's the same Holy Spirit power, that's the same resurrection power that is in you and working in you, and that's the power that I'm giving you to go forth with and to stand with. Know him. Second one is you need to know and learn his word. Know and learn his word. He tells us in Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples, teaching them to observe what? All things that I've commanded you, teaching them to observe all the things he's commanded us. A disciple, first service after first service, somebody said, said they just heard a sermon recently about the difference between a, a, a believer and a disciple. Or a Christian and a disciple. A disciple is one who follows the teachings of another, learns and follows after those teachings. First Timothy 4, 1 through 6. Paul writing to Timothy in the midst of challenges in the days that Timothy lived in. How much more would Paul, if he had a word processor, highlight and bold and, and italicize and all that stuff, this. He says, now the Spirit speaketh expressly, the Holy Spirit. And I say, the Holy Spirit saying clearly that in the latter times, some shall depart from their faith, from the faith, giving heed, look at this, to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Hang on one second before we go anywhere, Craig. Look at this. Remember I told you the, the, how come we need this, our heart needs to be committed and strong in this because it's not just a head knowledge. Remember the, the, the devil, the enemy, remember his character? He's a liar. He's a deceiver. Remember his methods? He camouflages this stuff. And there are those people in the latter times are going to leave the faith. What's he talking about? I think he's talking about, I, I wondered this, this past couple, three weeks. How many people who identify themselves as Christians, if you ask them, Skip, Fletcher, are you believing in the Lord? You don't have to stay around that brother long. He'll, he'll preach to you. Now, most of his words go over my head because he's 6'8". <laughs> yeah? But he'll, he'll, he'll talk to you. But I, I am amazed at how many people who identify themselves as Christians recently. I, and I want to say, when did you begin believing that it was okay for two people of the same sex to be married? I was so... I wasn't, I wasn't surprised, but I, I wanted to throw my peanuts away, but I didn't. This past week, when, when former President Jimmy Carter came out, national publication, and said he thought Jesus Christ would be pleased with gay marriage. Oh, for pity's sake, Southern Baptist, you need to church him. Need to do something. And, I, and my first thought was, this is a Sunday school teacher in an evangelical church, or it used to be? Now, there was a... Now, I kind of looked at this and said, well, you know, he's getting up in years and, you know, I, I'm getting up in years, so maybe, no. But, but the question is this, the question is this, when did you stop believing what God said and start believing what man said was okay? When? There's no time to do that. Today is not the time to second guess the word of God. It's the time to stand on the word of God. God's word says... 
God's Word says, let His Word be truth and every other man a liar. It doesn't matter what men say. It doesn't matter if former president says okay. It doesn't matter if the Supreme Court says sin is okay. Sin is sin, and I'm not just talking about the sin of homosexuality. I'm talking about heterosexual sin. I'm talking about individual sin. I'm talking about corporate sin. Sin is sin, and for sin, Jesus Christ had to die on the cross for my sin. He didn't have to die on the cross for the sin of homosexual. He died on the cross for the sin of Jerry Elton. And we all have sin and come short of the glory of God. But grace has been extended to us. But we need to stand on that truth. The minute you leave the truth of the Word of God, you have nothing to offer. You have no love. You have no hope. You have no help for the sinners of the world. We were in the middle of a verse. I guess in the middle of four verses here. Paul is telling to Timothy, listen to this. Look what he says. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats, that which God has created to be received with thanksgiving to them which they believe, which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving. For it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Notice what he says here. He says, Timothy... If you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, they were God's things. He just says, Timothy, it's time to remind people of my word. Folks, it's a time that we all are reminded of God's word. He says, if you, if you remind people of these things, you've done good. You've done good. Nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine which you have attained. I love, Craig, have you got the verses in Nehemiah 8, 7 and 8? You're so ahead of me. I didn't have time to throw, I didn't, have, I, I didn't do these first service, but you need them. <laughs> I, there, there are two things that, there are two things that I just love in these two verses, and I think we need to understand. All right, this is what's happened is, is uh, the people, God's law, has been, has been lost. And they found the scrolls. And now in the middle of downpour, in the middle of a, of a monsoon, I mean, thunderstorm, I mean, a lot storm. here stands the mamas and the daddies and the kids. Are the wheelers still in here? They may have left. Jason, are you and Hannah in here? They got the new baby here, so I'm wanting to see. She, she's a doll. She looks like her mother, so that's the answer to prayer already. <laughs> she doesn't have a beard like Jason. She's just... Anyway, the, the, the scroll had been found. And so, he's, and so Nehemiah, the, the, they're having the people stand and they're reading God's word aloud. And this is, there's a bunch of these names here. And he said, and the people, and, they, and he says, when it's read, they caused, look, this is what I, it got me plump excited. They caused the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. Next verse. So they read in the book and the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. You know what happened? The, the, they had been so in captivity that they weren't familiar with the language. And so when the language was read from the law of Aramaic, they didn't understand it. And so here are the men of God. Here are the priests. Here are the Levites. And they're helping the people understand God's word. What would have happened if there hadn't have been those men of God helping to understand they would have been like we are today in this country. God give us men and women that'll help us to understand. But I'm kind of like 
that's to those who don't understand. I'm kind of like Will Rogers was, but somebody asked him one time, what about the stuff in the Bible he didn't understand? Remember Will Rogers saying, he said, it's not the stuff I don't understand that bothers me, it's what I do understand. (laughs) All right, I've got to go quickly on to this. We need to know God's word. We need to have this intimate relationship with him. We need to know and learn God's word. The third thing, to stand firm on shaky ground in the times in which we live, I believe we need to be comfortable with inside and out, know inside and out our armor and our weaponry. Our armor and our weaponry. Ephesians 6 here says, tells about we're wrestling against a spiritual enemy, the devil. And then in verse 13, he says, taking to you the whole armor of God. And we read this, and, and each one of these is a, is, a, is a message or several messages. We talk about the belt of truth. Boy, that's a lot of, we get a lot of messages in that. We talk about the breastplate of righteousness, guarding the heart. We talk about the shoes with, of the gospel. I'm, I'm, I read of how that some of the Roman soldiers, uh, kind of they've wore cleats before they knew what they were. They would take and drive, drive spikes or nails through the bottom of their shoes. They made cleats like like track cleats or soccer cleats or football cleats so that when they fought, that their feet didn't slide. They were on sure footing. God, give us some men and women that will drive cleats through the feet and stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then they had the shield of faith. He says, above all, taking this shield of faith. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. For the scripture says, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. So we can't boast about what we've done. Above all, take this shield of faith. And then he says, take the helmet of salvation to guard that mind, to guard that head. And then he talks about, and this is where I'm going to kind of end up this morning. He talks about two critical pieces of weaponry to go on the offensive with. He says, and take this, verse 7, he says, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's settled in heaven. It doesn't change. Men, listen, we, we really probably written to, shouldn't be, I know I'm surprised, I'm just surprised at how quickly, how gullible, how weak, I could go on and on and on, seem like we are. But they've tried, to, men, the, the, the enemy has tried to destroy this word uh, long before it went into King James's. He was trying to be destroyed. He's tried to destroy the word when he was made flesh and put among us with the killing of the innocents. The enemies try to destroy the word, but I want to tell you, he can't destroy this word. It'll never be destroyed. It's settled in heaven. The sword of the spirit, the word of God. And then the next piece of, of weaponry, communications is always key. Now, I've not, I, I appreciate and honor you men and women that have served in our armed forces in combat situations. And, and communication is key. I was talking about how this is critical and, and the, the communications. But for, for us Christians, this problem of communications is no problem at all. It's no problem at all. Because the greatest offensive weapon we have at our disposal is that we can talk to the commander in chief anytime in the midst of the most heated battle, in the midst of the most severe persecution, in the midst of the most dire circumstances. The, the Christian that's in Yvonne prison, they can't keep him from talking to the Lord. God's there with him. He promised never to leave him nor forsake him. All the knives of ISIS, all the atro- atrocities committed by the savages of the world can't keep God's people from talking to God. 
I was talking about that first service and I said, prayer. He says, and above all, look in verse 18. He said, prayer, praying always. Praying always. I get so excited. Some of the Anise and Daryl and some came and said, Pastor, could you, would it be all right if we prayed on Friday night? Now, could you imagine a pastor would say, no, I really don't think we're praying on Friday night. God ain't gonna do it. Man, we need prayer on Friday night, Thursday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Monday night, Friday night, Saturday night. And it's like one of those things. I'm starting out to go. Any day, the, any day of the week that ends in a day, we need to pray, okay? Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, any day. You'll kind of get the, above all. Pray with all prayer and all supplication for the saints, for the Christians. Praying. And I was talking about this weapon. And, 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 a, and a former soldier that had been in Vietnam more than one term came up and said, he said, Pastor, this critical key of communication talking to the commander-in-chief, but he said, there's a part you need to tell. He says, because when the battles get so fierce, that communications, we can call in firepower, Jim. We can call in and say, hey, man, we are surrounded. We need some help. We need some reinforcements. To stand firm in shaky times, prayer unleashes the prayer of God in the lives of the believer. We need to stand resolute in our confidence and our trust, and we need to never accept defeat. I'm going to close with this story that I love. I ran across a true story from Korea War. I love this. It says the enemy forces had advanced, and Baker Company was cut off from the rest of their unit. For several hours, no word was heard, even though headquarters repeatedly tried to communicate with the missing troops. Finally, a faint signal was received, straining to hear the corpsman ask, Baker Company, do you read me? This is Baker Company, came the reply. What's your situation? Asked the corpsman. The enemy is to the east of us. The enemy is to the north of us. The enemy is to the west of us. The enemy is to the south of us. Then after a brief pause, I'm reading this, a sergeant from Baker Company said with determination, The enemy's not going to get away from us this time. (laughs) Although surrounded and outnumbered, he was thinking of victory, not defeat. Now listen to me this morning, my friends. We're talking about standing, standing firm in shaky times. Today, we are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. The victory has already been won when Jesus Christ died on the cross and says it's finished. It is finished. We've read the rest of the story. We've read the back of the book. We may not know all the things that's going to transpire and exactly how they're going to come down in between, but we do know ultimately how it's all going to end up with every knee bowing, every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings to the glory of God. We've got the tools, we've got the armor, we've got the weaponry. One of the soldiers told me, he said, Pastor, he said, and this is an older soldier, he said, blindfolded, he said, I could take my weapon apart and put it back together again in one minute. Blindfolded. It's that critical when your life is on the line. Let's close from 1 Corinthians 15. Love this powerful theological chapter of 
mortal putting on immortality and all this stuff. And he gets down to the bottom and he says, but thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Therefore, my brethren, beloved, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. How do you stand firm when the ground's shaking all around you? You got the intimate relationship with the Lord, a heart commitment. You know, you learn and you know and rely upon his word. And you get very familiar with your armor and your weaponry. And then I love what kind of give me this whole thing of, of this message on this was this verse where it says, and having done all, stand. Stand therefore with your loins gird. And stand. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. We give you glory. We give you honor. Lord, I'm reminded of that course in times like these we need a savior we have a savior oh thank you lord thank you that your word is true that your word is dependable thank you lord for loving us now may the holy spirit of god take the word of god and do whatever you choose to do with in their lives in jesus i pray